Men's Encounter, we, had a, we have a great group of guys that are still there wrapping up today, and God's been doing powerful things in their lives. And it did remind me this morning that, they're, that Women's Restore is coming up in just a couple weeks, and Aja just mentioned this morning, there are only 11 spots left for people to go. So if you want to go to Restore, get on our website, Church, and sign up right away. Um, it'll be a great opportunity for you, too. But we're going to talk, uh, continue our series today about history shapers. Did any of you hear the story this week? It happened earlier, or last week, but the guy named Jimmy Smith, 68-year-old man from New Jersey. Jimmy had bought a lottery ticket a year ago, and his, his practice was he'd buy tickets, and he would store them in an old shirt, that, a pocket in his shirt that he hung in his closet. And so he just had it hanging there, and he started seeing some news reports coming out saying, hey, there's this big $24 million lottery, $24 million lottery that someone's won, but no one's collected the ticket. It's about to expire. You check and see, you know, if you have, maybe if it's yours, we're trying to find who the person is. And so Jimmy thought, oh, you know, I haven't looked at that pocket for quite a while. I, maybe it's me, or maybe I should just check. So he went in his closet, got his old shirt, pulled some tickets out of the pocket, looked through a couple, and looked at one, and was like, wait, first numbers line up, second numbers line up. And he was in shock that he had the winning $24 million lottery ticket hanging in his closet, and in two days, it was going to expire. Can you imagine the feeling? He was just in shock. He was like, could hardly believe that this had actually happened. And so he turned it, he turned it in, and he, he got the $24 million. There's, there's Jimmy right there. Um, but I heard that story, and I was like, that'll preach. Like, there's, there's so much truth in, in what just happened, that he owned a winning lottery ticket, but it wasn't doing him any good because he wasn't cashing in on it. And today we're talking about the written word. And actually, that, if you think about that lottery ticket, just as a, a piece of paper with words and numbers written on it, those words and numbers had the power to transform his life in a very real way. Now, we're not going to get into that because actually winning the lottery usually ruins people's lives. It doesn't, doesn't help you. But if you can set that aside for a minute, that had the power to, to trans... That's going to transform his life. And the same is true with so much of God, including what we're talking about today, which is the Bible. God's written word. That God has put treasure in here that is worth far more than $24 million. And so often, we're like Jimmy. We, got, we maybe have a Bible, or we got a, an app on our phone, or you know, if you're like a lot of us, you've got multiple copies around your house. But so often, it, it sits there on the table or on the shelf in the proverbial dust collector. And it's, it's there, this, this living Word of God that has the truth and the wisdom and the ability bring us into the success and the purpose that our life was made for, and fullness of life. But we don't cash in on it, because we don't crack it open, we don't read and apply the words that are written on it. And we're doing a, a series, we're in the middle of a series called History Shapers, right now, based on, really inspired by the Protestant Reformation that began 500 years ago this month, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Castle Church door, and Wittenberg, Germany. And we're looking at some of the, the biggest principles of 
the Reformation, and we're not, this isn't about Protestant versus Catholic or any of that, but it's about there were truths out of that time in, in history that changed history. And many of the things that had been neglected were brought back to the forefront of people's understanding, and they really have shaped history. And one of the truths that was highlighted, that God highlighted in the Protestant Reformation, is what's called sola scriptura. It's the idea that the scripture is the word of God that is the authority, the infallible authority of God for us to live our lives based on. And it's interesting that the Reformation, which we talked about, it spread incredibly fast. There are a lot of reasons for that. But one of the biggest reasons is because normal people who had not had access to the word of God began to, to read God's word in their own language. And the revelation of who God was and how they could know him burned within their hearts and transformed them. And then they went and told their friends. And the, the written word was a huge part of, of God's word spreading and changing history. And what's really interesting is, and essential in this is that that whole spread in society and it changed cultures and nations, and little has been more influential than that movement that began 500 years ago in, in all of history. But it started, really, when one person cracked open his Bible, and it was Martin Luther, who was a monk, who was felt uh, guilty, felt separated from God, was racked with, with guilt and this desire to be right with God, but never feeling like he measured up. And one day in his monk cell, he was, he's reading the scriptures, and he's reading Romans chapter 1. And it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then it says, and the, the righteous shall live by faith. And he realized, oh my goodness, it's, it's through faith that God makes me righteous. And actually, the, the, as he read that, he realized it was the... It's through faith, it's through believing God that God gives me his righteousness. That in the, in the Latin, or the Greek that he read it in, he realized that it's the idea of alien righteousness. It was a righteousness not your own. That God's righteousness becomes ours when we believe him and what he did on the cross. And it was through reading this word that he had a, a revelation that changed his life and then went out and, and changed all society. And and it's interesting because the way the world works is it says, hey, well, you have these really good ideas. There are intellectuals who come up with really good ideas, and they think, well, we can just impose these upon people, and that will we'll have the answer for what everybody should do. But a lot of times you look at these intellectuals who we have followed them. You look at people like Rousseau and Marx and Keynes, um, who have their, their political philosophies and economic philosophies, our modern world has been built upon. But if you look at their personal lives, they were train wrecks. Like they did, Their own life did not work. But yet they had the pride to say, well, we'll tell all of society how it should function. And that's kind of how the world works. And so the way God works is it's always from the inside out. That his word comes to us and it changes us personally. And out of our lives being transformed, then we have something to spread with others around us. So next time you're like, you know, popping your head to a song that's someone singing, you might think like, huh, let me look at this person's life. How's this working in their life? Should I really be embracing the philosophy they're preaching, or is, is that really working for them? So anyway, that's, that's all free. That's extra. But <laughs> what, what works for society must first work for an individual life. 
And you know, Martin Luther wasn't the first person, or, or the best, or the last, to have his life shaped by God's word. And we're actually going to start our time here looking at, at Matthew chapter 4, the story of Jesus, when he began his, began his ministry. It's amazing that Jesus, who was the living word of God, he, he looked to the scripture, he looked to the written word of God, to, to grow and to understand God, and to, to follow God, and to, to build his life. And so in Matthew chapter 4, it says right before Jesus began his ministry, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. That sounds great, right? We talk a lot about being led by the Spirit. Oh, God, let the Spirit lead me. Well, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's maybe not where we want the Spirit to lead us. But sometimes that is part of the process of how, how he leads us. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so he went 40 days without eating. Now, I don't know about you, but when I don't eat for like two hours, <laughs> I start to get grumpy. I say, like, my sense of reality is distorted. My, I don't fast that often. I'm not, you know, like a lot of, a lot of great saints. But the, the occasional times when I fast... Usually, my wife, Reagan, is like, can you just stay away from me? Because, like, you're doing this, like, supposedly spiritual experience, but you're just so fleshy. You're so grumpy. Like, I don't want to be around you today. Like, I can tell that you're fasting. Because just, man, my reality starts to get distorted. And just all the, that's part of the purpose of fasting is to, to realize your need for God and to kind of break the power of the fast. But usually for me, it's afterwards. It's not during that I'm, I'm experiencing it. But being hungry affects your mind. And, you know, when you're hungry, when you're, when you're out of sorts, very odd, odd thoughts can seem true to you. Right? Like, I mean, I remember the last time I fasted, I actually volunteered to sell concessions for a soccer game the same day. And I was like, this is no big deal. I'll tell you, I, man, Snickers and other chocolate candy bars have never looked so good. <laughs> I was just in my mind, I was like, oh my goodness, like, to be, just be able to, like, eat 10 chocolate candy bars, like... What more in life could there be? Like, that, I don't need anything else. Like, as soon as this is over, I'm just going to buy chocolate and my life will be full. Like, just, you have, we have all sorts of weird thoughts. And so, Jesus, he was God, but he was human. And he's in this, this condition of, of being weakened in, in his flesh. And it says in verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, a lot of times, you think of this story, we think of the devil, and there are paintings of this, and you see Jesus in the wilderness, and there's this shadowy, dark, sinister, diabolical devil figure who's like, comes up to him, and he's like, hey, Jesus, hey, turn these stones into bread. Except, he, you know, he looks like the devil. But, how many of you know, it wasn't like that. The devil doesn't come to us like that. It's not like the... You know, starting lineups for the NBA. It's like, and now on the opposite team, <laughs> at eight foot seven, gnarly, ugly, and evil, <laughs> Satan is coming up against you right now. No, it's not like that. You don't, he doesn't reveal his nastiness, but he comes to us in the thoughts in our head, in ideas that usually sound like our own voice. They sound so true, they sound so reasonable. They sound like they make a lot of sense. Like, this idea, like, if I'm in Jesus' situation, this makes a lot of sense. It's like, hey, I am the Son of God. 
And I have the power to turn stones into bread. And I just went 40 days. I think, by golly, it's about time I had a meal. So, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And that's how the enemy comes to us with, with thoughts that are difficult to discern if they're true or not. The enemy is a deceiver. And he's really good at it. The Bible says the enemy comes to us as an angel of light. He comes in ways and with ideas and thoughts that they seem so good. They seem so true. And if we don't have a, a frame of reference outside ourself, we will swallow the bait, hook, line, and sinker, because it seems good to us so often. But Jesus, he, he models how we, how we face, the, how we sort through reality in this reality of spiritual warfare and ideas that come to us. And in verse 4 it says, But he answered, It is written. So he's quoting the scriptures. He's quoting the written word of God, which he had immersed himself in and learned and knew. He said, wait a minute, that sounds good, but it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus, out of knowing God's written word, he was able to discern these thoughts and opportunities and temptations that presented themselves so reasonably, so, so, so they seem so good. And, you know, for us, there are the thoughts that come our way. So many ideas that come to us that, that seem good, but they're not. There are a whole lot of, and we could go on and on, but perfectionistic thoughts that seem like, oh yeah, you need to achieve, to, to be somebody. But it's contrary to God's word. The thoughts of perfectionism basically would say that, hey, if, if you want to matter in life, you need to be perfect. Or you need to be the best. There are people who are number two in the world, in their field, and they feel like losers. Because that's what perfectionism does to us. There are all sorts of thoughts that, oh, if you don't look a certain way, you're a loser. You're not beautiful. There are thoughts after thoughts after thoughts. It's, oh, it's, it's okay because I'm not hurting anyone. There are so many deceptive ideas, and we, the Bible has answers for us if we go to it. And so, what, what we're talking about today is becoming people who base our lives on the written word of God, who, draw, who know God and know his word and are able to base our life on that and can stand through the shifting confusion of ideas and temptations and stuff that comes our way. So we're going to look at uh, one more passage is our, today. Psalm chapter 1 talks about this. You know, think of what image comes to your mind about someone who bases their life on the Bible? You know, a lot of people may think of a, an angry Bible thumper. You know, someone who's just, ah, just like, you know, got this Bible and they're ready to hit someone over the head with it because this is what God's Word says and you need to listen to it. And you're like, okay, that's, that's, so we have really like, weird thoughts, and there are weird things that people do. But there's a, this, this psalm is a, a picture of what someone looks like who bases their life on God's word. And so we're just going to read through this. Verse, chapter, one, or ver, chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the person. Now that word blessed could also be translated happy. It's a picture of someone who lives a happy, blessed life. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
It's interesting that it lists like three things there. The counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seed of scoffers. There are three as a number in the Bible of, of fullness or of completion. A lot of times the Bible will repeat itself to, to make a point that this is important. And, but it's saying that there are a lot of ways for us to get bad information. There are a lot of places in the world for us to get ideas that are not true. Some of them are more obvious. It's like the counsel of the wicked. Well, you know, that seems like, you know, wicked. I should probably not do what's wicked. That's okay. But it still is an appeal. It stands in the way of sinners. Sits in the seat of scoffers or mockers. I know my, my generation, Gen X, I think one of the things that we, t- we growing up, took pride in was being cynics, being sarcastic, basically being scoffers. And we, like, had this whole rationale of, like, hey, that's, that's cool. That's a good way to approach life. But this is saying that this whole scoffing, mocking, cynicism, sarcasm, that's part and parcel of wickedness. There's just so many ways that falsehood comes to us and, and seems so true. Um, it can also be, be uh, well, just the reality today is that there's more bad information coming to us than ever before in history. It's the age of information, and there's so much data. There's so much information. You look at your phone, and it's just <laughs> stuff coming from every which way. You like those sound effects? <laughs> it's just all over. There's so much. And it's, it can be easy to, to, we are influenced by what we take into our minds. And so what, what, what happens from that? So blessed is the one who does not do that, but verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So instead of all that, those other sources, it's saying, but the one who's happy, the one who's blessed, is the one who delights in the law of God, in the word of God. In his law, he meditates day and night. And at the time that Psalms were written, the only part of scripture they had was what was before Psalms, in the first part of the Old Testament. It's what's called the law. And a lot of times we have a bad connotation of law, and both because, you know, we want to, we want to break the speed limit and do other stuff. But also because the New Testament talks about how, well, the law, the commandments of God, they are not able to save us. And there's a danger in just trying to be a Christian by being legalistic and just being do, be doing good things. And the Bible is very clear that, you know, walking with God, a relationship with God, isn't just about trying to, trying to be good and trying to obey God's commands, but it's through faith in Christ. And it's through his, his power that comes to us to live that way. But there is, but, but the Bible speaks of the Bible, speaks of the law as a good thing. Most of the time. This is speaking of the commandments of God. The ways of God. Though I was just talking to Taylor, who's not here, he's at Men's Encounter, but he's, he's been reading Exodus, the second book of, of the Bible, that's a lot about the laws of God. And he's like, oh, I've read it before, but just my heart's been awakened towards God's word in new ways recently, and I've like, I had no idea how much there was in here about, about God's presence, about what God is like, about people encountering God, about, well, this is like, I thought that was the old, boring, legalistic part of the Bible, but as I'm reading it now, I'm seeing there's so much in there. And even the fact of, like, the laws, the commands of God, they are, they are for our good. God's 
commands. It tells us how to live wisely, how to live with, with success. In a way, we're going to look at that. that and it talks about that in Psalm 1, that as we delight in the law of God, it tells us, hey, how do we handle our finances? How do we handle our relationships? There are answers in, in the Old Testament law for, hey, how should a society treat the poor? How should businesses conduct business in a way that is profitable, but also considerate for the least of these in society? There are answers for every aspect of life, but we have to dig in and delight in God's word if we're going to get to that. Um, this, is, this is essential for life as a Christ follower. If we look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus told his followers, he said, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So th- a disciple is someone who is learning to obey everything Jesus commanded us. And how do we know what Jesus commanded us? It's right here. This is the one. This is his instruction. This is the way of life for a follower of Jesus. And so that is what we're called to be. That's what we're called to make is is disciples who know God's word, who follow it. On his law, he meditates day and night. There's something about that, too, that I think a lot of times I hear people say, like, well, I... I want to find a church where I get fed. And that's really important. You should get fed. I mean, I hope you're getting fed right now. There's, there's a part of coming together and opening God's word and learning it. But really the goal is to become a mature disciple who feeds ourselves. The picture of this person is on this law he meditates day and night. That this person is getting in God's word and chewing on it, meditating it, on it, learning it for himself or herself. And that's, that's what's changing them. Jesus said in John 8, 31, he said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you hang out in my word, if you're drawing life from my word, then you are truly disciples. You are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so that's what a disciple is. It's not someone who's just wanting someone else to tell them what to do, but they are abiding in God's word, learning God's truth, learning it, applying it, feeding our souls from it, and then we know the truth, and the truth sets us free. Now the whole, this soul scriptura thing has become a theological debate about, well, like, how do we know who interprets scripture, what's the role of the church, and there's some really important aspects of that. But what we have to understand is that The Bible has the power to speak clearly to us. Every believer, we talked about a couple weeks ago, the priesthood of every believer, that God, it's it's the doctrine that's called perpiscuity, that God has made his word clear enough, that yes, there are complicated areas, yes, there are difficult things, but we can understand God's word as we come before him with the heart to understand he speaks to us and he unfolds us to us and helps us to understand I was one of my favorite stories of someone who's come to faith in, in recent times is a, a former English professor at Syracuse whose name is Rosario Butterfield. And Rosario was an English professor. She didn't believe in God. She was a, a lesbian. And 
her research was a lot about looking, she began to research the, like, Christians and how, how they were causing problems in society, basically. And she met, in the midst of this, she met a couple, two, a Christian husband and wife, who befriended her. And out of that friendship, just her, her stereotypes and her assumptions about Christians started to melt away, although it went against everything she stood for, everything she believed. But out of that, she started to read the Bible, and she was an English professor. She's someone who loves literature. She's someone who was devoted to the written word. And over a process of, I think it was about two years, she says, I just started devouring this book. And it contradicted everything I believed, everything I stood for, everything my career was based on, my reputation, my whole social group of friends. Like, I, if I was going to embrace this book, it was going to be the end to all of that. But she said, but the more I read it, the more I came to the conclusion that the Bible is a supernatural book. That it is not just something someone wrote, but it is God's word. And she came to the point where she realized, you know, my problem really, as, as she read the word, she saw, man, it's not, it's not sex that's my issue. It's pride. It's me wanting to be God and me setting the standards for my life. And she came to a place of, of trusting Jesus and becoming his follower. But it was that revelation, that interaction with God's written word that, that changed everything. And that's the same thing that changes us as well. Uh, there's, there's an example in, in the New Testament, Acts 17, is the message of Jesus was going out throughout the whole world. And there were a lot of Jewish people they would come to first who had had the Old Testament and they were waiting for the, for the Messiah. And it says in Acts 17 that the Berean Jews, the Jews from the city of Berea, were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So saying these people were of noble character because as they heard the word, they said, well, let's see what the scriptures say. And they examined the Old Testament. Oh, yes, this is exactly what God prophesied about the Messiah coming and what he was going to be like and how he was bringing his kingdom. And, wow, that is what God has said. Jesus is the Messiah. And so they were, they were ready to believe because they dug into the word for themselves. And... You know, we live in an age where literacy is high. Most of us, probably all of us, know how to read. But the question is, are we, like, getting that flannel shirt out of the closet and pulling out the words inside and seeing what it says and applying it to our life? All right, back to, back to Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. It says, this person, the person who delights in God's law and meditates on it, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. That's the picture of what we're like as we draw our life from God's Word, as we base our life on God's Word. We see in there, we see uh, a fruitfulness. That It's like a tree, and it doesn't matter what, if a tree is planted by a, a stream of water, it doesn't matter how dry it is all around. It's like driving through western Kansas. It's like, where are the trees? I don't see any trees. And then you see like, Wow, there's a line of trees. And guess why? Because that's where the stream goes. That's where the water goes. And so 
planted by water. It doesn't matter what's going on in our environment. It doesn't matter what's going on in our life around us. If we are planted by God's word, we can thrive. We can be fruitful. It says his way will be prosperous, successful. That life and living the life we were meant to live comes from being planted by God's word. We see that in the Reformation that it, it led to a whole prospering of Europe. That Europe came out of, of a time of economic, just really rough conditions. As people learned God's word and applied it to their life, it not only blessed them in a spiritual sense, but the whole continent became the most prosperous place in the history of humanity because of the word of God and, and what came out of that. Um, it goes on, verse 4, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. You know, chaff is, chaff is like when you harvest the wheat. There's the grain, and then there's the, the light material around, around the grain. And what farmers have to do is separate that, and so in, in ancient times they would throw the grain in the air, and then all the chaff would blow away by the wind. And that's what the Word of God is like, and people who base their life on God's Word. A lot of the things that seem so true today are just chaff that's going to get blown away. You know, all the, the latest theories of evolution that they're talking about every day here across the street, in 15 years, those are going to have blown away. Just like the ones from 15 years ago. We look at 10,000 years from now, this, if, if Jesus hasn't come back, this word is still going to be true. And all the other ideas and things that, that seem so, to, to, so real and so powerful, they're not going to last because truth is what stands, and that's, that's what's in God's word. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I just, I get passionate about this because I know I've, the, the more I have dug into God's word, the more I've found life, the more I've found answers, the more I've applied it to my life, the more of the goodness of God I've experienced, the more of the goodness of God my family has experienced, the more our church has experienced. Like God has answers for us. And they're in his word. And this is the picture of the life that, that God has for us. And so I just want to leave us with a couple, couple next steps. You know, there, are, there are a lot of details. Of how do you study the Bible? How do you learn? Well, talk to somebody. We're not going to go into all that. There are, it's, it's, there are some things. It's probably better to start in the New Testament. Probably better to start in the Gospels, um, Psalms, maybe Genesis. You know, there are places that are easier to understand than others, but all of this Bible is so full of God's wisdom and truth to help us, but it's laid out for us to base our life upon. And so I just want to give a, a couple next steps for us. First one is, is if you've never done this, and even if, and if you had, just reaffirm it, let the Bible be the standard for your life. Let the Bible, Bible be the standard for what is right and wrong for you for how you'll make decisions, for how you'll, how you'll treat your schedule, how you'll treat your finances, how you'll treat other people, how you'll deal with the, the moral questions that you face. The Bible has answers. And it's a question for us is, okay, am I going to let this be the standard for my life? Or am I going to go some other way? And if you've never done that, I just encourage you today to say, man, from this day forward, I'm going to base my life upon this word. 
That's if, if, if God says it, that's going to be what I follow. Another next step could be is learn what the Bible says about a topic you're facing right now. So maybe you've got a question about your identity, or you've got a question about a, a decision you need to make, or an issue someone's brought to your attention. Well, learn what the Bible says about that. It's, it's kind of easier than ever. It's, you can just Google. What does the Bible say about body image? And, you know, you might have to sift through a lot of chaff and stuff that comes up, but it's amazing how much, like, just stuff is accessible to us to, to learn what the Bible says. And the third next step is learn what the Bible says about a cultural issue. Now, I get in so many discussions with, with people and Christians about cultural issues from racism to, to sex, issues of sexuality, immigration, whatever it would be. And the Bible has answers about these topics. And so often we're just like going off of pulling stuff out of our back pocket. Like, well, this is what seems right to me. But God has answers that will shape history in a positive way. But it's up to us to dig into it and to find those and to find his answers. So, it is written. God's got good stuff for us. And I know we're living this out. I know, like, we could, like, probably have story after story of, from you all. Like, yeah, I was facing this, and I found what God said. And, man, that helped me so much. And I just want to encourage us today to, to keep on in that process and come in with the blessing that God has for us. So, let me pray for us. Lord, Thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us to, to figure things out by ourselves. Lord, I ask this morning that you would impart a greater love and hunger for your word than we've, we've ever found before, we've ever had before. God, help us to be people who, who do dig in and see what you say and base our lives upon you. Lord, and I thank you for the blessing that comes from that. I thank you that we will be like trees planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, our leaves not withering, whatever we do prospering. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.